Up next, Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. We believe it, we live it, and there's something about Brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world. Good afternoon, and welcome to Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. What if you could see a solution to a serious problem like pollution or homelessness? All you needed was money and a way to make it happen, and you could turn your idea into a business that would make the world a better place. Today, we'll meet three social entrepreneurs, business founders with a mission to have a long-lasting impact for good in our world. Hosting Biz 503 today are Kedma O, oh, director of the Mount Hood Community College Small Business Development Center and innovation lead for 19 centers, and Mike Rogaway, business writer for The Oregonian. To start, we'd like to welcome Scott Hamlin from Loopworks. Loopworks. Scott, can you first tell us how do you say Loopworks? <laughs> and tell us a little bit about your business. You you nailed it. It's Loopworks. It actually is a nod for closed loop manufacturing, which is where we need to go from a, a long term standpoint. So closed loop Loopworks. Mm -hmm. There you go. Uh, a little bit about our business. We are um, based here in Portland, founded in two thousand nine, and uh, I myself came out of the athletic and outdoor industry, and in that process saw. Uh, behind the scenes, what happens at factories every day, which is millions and millions of pounds of excess materials get left over in manufacturing and then get burned or landfilled uh, without ever being used. And so the concept for Loopworks was quite simple, that we were going to take excess materials and turn them into amazing products and try and extend the life of those materials and educate people on upcycling and closed loop. Give us a couple examples real quick. What are some of the products you sell? What are some of the most popular things you have and where can people find them? Yep. So we create bags and clothing primarily, a lot of travel accessories and commuting accessories. We partner with a lot of different brands and we take Southwest Airlines seats and turn them into really nice duffel bags and, and travel bags. And so that's one of the more popular items that we have. You can find them on our website at loopworks.com. So, Scott, it's fascinating just trying to understand how you repurpose the materials. Walk us through what challenges that you face, both from just the process itself, discarding materials, and then are there any other challenges that uh, we may not even be aware of? Yeah, so I often joke that what we do is not easy and that there's a lot of easier ways to make a dollar. But for us, it was really important that somebody who had contributed to creating this waste throughout my career, I needed to do something about um, changing that. And so the challenges around it are you have these fluctuations in the types of materials that you're dealing with. Uh, so you can look at that as, oh, this is a challenge. And in the old retail model where you had to make hundreds of thousands of units to sell to big stores, that's a challenge. In the new retail model where you can sell things online and people want things that are unique and different, it actually becomes an opportunity because your mm -hmm. products are always changing. So we think of businesses conventionally, you come out of yeah, I thought I could parallel industry, I gather. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You go to a bank, you borrow money, you <laughs> find investors. Is it different with a social entrepreneur? When you went out to start your business, where'd you find funding? Yeah, so before I talk about funding from that standpoint, I think there's a little bit of a misnomer there in that you need money to start a business. And I don't necessarily believe that. I think that if you have mm -hmm. an idea, you can do a lot of this with your own resources and, and test things out before you start to get to a point where you are going to need money. 
And that's exactly what we did is we kind of, first of all, when we started, upcycling was not a popular phrase. People thought we were talking about riding bikes up hills. Uh-huh. Um, so there's an education process around it, and that's another one of the challenges. But uh, mm. the other piece of it was is that we just started to talk to these factories, rescuing materials. They were essentially going to be burned. So they were more than willing to give them to us. And then we had to try and figure out how, what we could create and then see if there was a market for it. So we could do a lot of the work without getting money. So your, your, your initial you know, foundational uh, resources, it wasn't cash. You went out and just got the materials and then moved from there. And tried to figure it out. Yep. Maybe a conventional business knocking on their door, they wouldn't have been excited about giving away their, their materials. But for somebody who's got a social purpose, were they more open to that? So they were more open to that because, first of all, they, believe it or not, innately in all of us, even the person, if you're in China throwing the material into an incinerator, that's not your first instinct. Mm. Um, and so I think innately in all of us, we want to do the right thing. And, and, and I think all of us appreciate the value of things and, and don't like to waste. So that piece of it was really easy to, to get people to rally behind. Uh, Scott, you mentioned several times we. Walk us through who your team is, and if you have uh, some critical members in the team, how did you bring them on board to be a part of this mission? Yeah, so the team that we currently have, we have folks uh, that head up design, product, our operations, which is a big piece of what we do, the um, sales and e-commerce and digital marketing. And we have groups of people. We now have 14 people. When we started, this was you know, literally me <laughs> um, uh, doing that. And we did eventually get to a point where we were taking on capital, but we had already proven our business model to a point where we needed it to scale up what we were doing. And so in doing that, we were then able to be able to attract some of the talent. And there's a lot of talent in Portland. And believe it or not, there's a lot of people like myself and probably Lily, who we'll be talking to, <laughs> who had this process of realization through the industry of like, hey, I've done this and now I want to try and do something good. And so there's a, that attracts a lot of people. Before we bring in Lily, we're going to take a quick break, but stick around. When we return, we'll have Lily Yo from Gomi Kids and Tyrone Poole from No App Fee here with us in the studio. Support for Biz503 comes from acreative.agency, specializing in marketing, automation, and web development. For more, go to acreative.agency. Welcome back to Biz503. We just spoke with Scott Hamlin from loop to works and now we have Lily Yo. CEO of Go Me Kids and Tyrone Poole, founder of noappfee.com. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Billy, let's start with you and Go Me Kids. Can you tell us a little bit about your business? Sure. Uh, Go Me Kids is a six year old company based in Portland, Oregon, uh, making small and mighty uh, baby essentials. Yeah, tell us a little bit more. Um, baby <laughs> essentials, what are some typical sure. products? So we actually started with our humble baby mitten um, back when we started and has, have since evolved into baby gown, baby layette, and uh, uh, a lineup for premature babies as well. That is awesome. So I'm going to ask a question because I specialize in innovation and do a lot with new product development. 
Did you develop any of these products and do you have any intellectual property behind it? Yes. Yes, we did. We developed every single one and we have utility and design patents. Utility patents pending and design patents already. Could you just share a little bit about uh, any challenges going through that process or anything that the audience would be interested in learning about as you went through the patent process? Sure. It's not easy and it's lengthy. And what one of the challenges that I we came in into it and realized later that uh, an advisor told us for every patent lawyer that existed, there were five that existed to go around your patent. Mm -hmm. So that's always very comforting to know <laughs> that you go through this process of innovating and that so many people are, are out to almost work right around that. And we're talking today about social entrepreneurship. Tell us a little bit about what makes Gomi Kids different from a standard for-profit small business. Sure. You're for-profit, I, I imagine, sure. but uh, you have a social purpose as well. Absolutely. So I was saying earlier that uh, our main mission is really to make small mighty. I think in many respects for us as moms, uh, when we endeavored into this, it dawned on us that there were certain baby essentials that we found were real integral in our early process as moms raising baby that were just not designed well because they were small, analogous to small market share, unimportant. Uh, and yet they were. They were important to us. They were important to our babies. And perhaps just because of by virtue of being in Portland, we set out to go and make that solution ourselves. But the other piece to it is, you know, as we thought about our journey entering back um, after maternity leave as moms, we realized that, you know, the companies that we were a part of and we learned a lot from weren't uniquely designed to let us really be truly engaged moms and entrepreneurs at the level that we wanted to be. So what would a company look like that allowed us to do that uh, and make the right products that focused on maybe overlooked categories? And the third part of it in the social entrepreneurship um, mostly is really around philanthropy, that we worked so hard to raise our babies and they're going to inherit this planet after us. And uh, all, meanwhile, all these decisions that we're making as parents, including the things that we buy for them, uh, will absolutely have a direct impact. Uh, Tyrone, I'd like to bring you in too. Tell us a little bit about noappfee.com and answer a chicken and egg question for me. Were you solving a business problem first or were you solving a social problem first? I uh, was solving a social problem first and I'm still solving a social problem second. So uh, <laughs> having, there are not too many business problems uh, trying to solve these days, but noappfee.com was created out of a necessity. Um, I know my story has probably been shared plenty of times, but the very short version is I went to school to be a fireman. I was injured in the academy. I ended up being hospitalized and on and off for about nine months. And when I got out of the hospital, I had to wear crutches for a year. So it was a very, very hard time back then. And during that process, when I was in the hospital, I had, uh, was evicted from my home. My car was repossessed. Uh, all, I had a ton of medical debt. It's funny because we, we joked about the fact that my medical debt actually hit my credit report while I was still in the hospital during huh. those nine months time period. <laughs> so they don't play. Like the world keeps moving <laughs> when you're stuck. And uh, after that process, I ended up being homeless. Mm -hmm. And while I was homeless, uh, I ended up moving into the YWCA homeless shelter. And the process for me to find housing that I qualified for was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in my entire adult life. Second day in the shelter, I had an award letter that paid rent anywhere I wanted to live in the city. It was the happiest moment of my entire life. I could live anywhere, and it was going to be paid for by a year from this program and this grant that I got for homeless people. And uh, three months later, I'm still in the shelter with a letter that pays rent anywhere, being told I have to move back out of the shelter now because I've already I've exceeded my 
my extension. That was after the 60 days where I should have been out. So uh, I am now about to be back out on the streets with this letter. And it was just because I got denied everywhere. Everywhere I applied to, I just didn't meet the criteria. And back then, because it's so ambiguous of what properties are looking at, um, I tried all kinds of stuff to get approved to places. I told the sad story about why my credit's this way. I remember one property manager I took my grades to <laughs> from my school, and I showed them how I was almost perfect, A's with a few B's, and just to try it because you didn't know what they were looking for. Uh, and then during that process, I got approved to a house, which was the most amazing moment. And I remember asking that owner, why did you approve me? You know, what was it about my background check? I didn't even tell you my sad story, nothing. And she <laughs> looked at me like I was crazy. And she was like, well, our screening company said you met the criteria. So <laughs> and that was it. So that just sparked this whole thing about finding out that, Jesus, all these management companies have their own unique criteria. And so what noafi.com does is the most simplistic business model in the world. We go out. And we collect the screening criteria of every management company in the state. And then we put them all in one database and allow a renter's background check to be pulled by our app and then filtered against every vacancy in the city at the exact same time. So when we go live here this December 7th, our app will be the equivalent of spending $250,000 in application fees and going to properties and applying for 11 years. This is how long it would take you to do what this is going to do in five minutes. So this is the very big moment for us on December 7th. Wow. Well, thank you, Tyrone. That was so inspirational. And I, uh, you know, I'm moved by it because I, you never know what someone's story is. And so, and I have not heard the story. So (laughs) just to let you know, (laughs) question about this launch and what kind of funding did you have to invest in? And did you run into any challenges uh, with financing? Jesus, financing is one of the most (laughs) difficult things to get in Oregon. I don't want to go too far into the challenges that come along with being a minority in Oregon getting funding, but to say the least, it multiplies the challenges that it is to get dollars. Um, I was, I'll give you a very quick example. I was, in 2015, I won an award with PDC um, that uh, said that I was chosen out of 300 startups with the best social platform, and then I got my first bit of money to build the platform. Uh, we, it only was enough to get me so far. So I had to go out and raise capital. Um, but from how far we did get, I was nationally ranked as the fifth most promising tech startup in the world. In 2016, I was Oregon's most promising entrepreneur, first African American to ever receive that award. And I still couldn't get a single dollar from any investment funds here, even though I couldn't be beaten in any arena with the platform and the profitability and the business model. So, I had to go out and ask individual investors one at a time for funding. So I probably pitched 300 investors over a two-year time period and got 45 investors to build the platform. Tyrone, I'm curious, when you're making those pitches, how much were they motivated by, did they think, oh, this is a really good business, This is a, there's an obvious market here, I'm going to make some money, how, how much were they motivated by hey, I see the social purpose in this. I see that there's an opportunity that I could really do something for the community. Right. So I would say that out of my first early investors, it was probably 90% was moved um, socially. And about you know 10% were actually looking at the, the pro forma to figure out the, the risk and loss rewards. So for you, having a social purpose was 
a kind of advantage. It was. Although we're dealing with other kinds of challenges. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Lily Tyrone, thank you very much. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll have all three of our panelists in a roundtable discussion. Thanks to acreative.agency, specializing in marketing, automation, and web development. For more, go to acreative.agency. Welcome back to Biz 503. We are here with our three guests, Tyrone, Lily, and Scott. Thank you all so much for staying here and being back on the show. And before our break, Tyrone was talking about how, for him, his social purpose presented a kind of opportunity when he went to investors. I'm curious, Lily, Scott, you guys sell consumer products. How much a part of your marketing is the social purpose that comes along with your business? Uh, we've learned a lot along the way on how to craft the message around this because our message is, is uh, we're a certified B corporation. We, we do um, basically... Really good environmental work in that every, for example, if, if you have one pair of jeans that gets manufactured, it, it requires over 1,800 gallons of water to make that pair of jeans or 400 gallons of water for an organic cotton t-shirt. And so we start out really communicating those kinds of things to realize what is in the clothing and the accessories that you carry. And uh, we realized very quickly that People were interested in that and they would come into it, but that wasn't their purpose for buying it necessarily. They wanted to fall in love with the items first. So we kind of have to blend our social and on the social side of it, we uh, as a B Corp, we work with nonprofits that employ adults with disabilities and we bring them into our supply chain and we work with local nonprofits here in Portland to do that. And so I'd say that from a marketing standpoint, we have to hit them first with these are things that you're really interested in and you should check it out. And then as they read deeper into it, they start to realize as they peel back the layers of the onion, the more work that we do makes this an interesting brand and an interesting company. I would concur. We started seeing something very similar. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk about giving back and how important that is to our choices, even as parents for our babies. But when it came down to brass tacks, what you were buying at the baby boutique or, or you know, the store, uh, it, it still comes down to the product. We had to sell them at the product. Oh, and by the way, yes, we give back, so it makes me feel good that I'm choosing you over the other options. So this is a question for uh, anyone who's interested in responding. I want to presume that there's going to be people listening to this podcast thinking to themselves, I have a great socially driven idea. I want to start a socially driven business. Where would you recommend that they start first in terms of resources? Where would be the first place they should consider connecting with as a resource? Lily? I was going to say, you know, for us, it came down to getting the product made first um, and nailing that value proposition. So much of our work actually was spent in the beginning just talking to fellow moms and really making sure that what we were going endeavoring in definitely resonated and was relevant to them. And then you start to, from there, it starts to connect really quickly as far as what elements you need to build out in terms of the rest of the business model. But I'm not sure if your question is around the resources of support that you need to go get. I think similar to, to Scott's experience, funding wasn't, um, really didn't play a big role in the beginning for us either. It wasn't because I wasn't interested in funding. I think it was by virtue of maybe how my alchemy mentally was uh, wired or just as a, a woman 
I think sometimes there's a tendency to, oh, I'm going to do this myself. It's DIY. And so we literally just ran on our own gas and whatever proceeds we got out of the sales, we just refundled it right back to the business. We were self-funded for the first five years and we were triple digit growing every year. Um, and then you realize, you know, afterwards, oh my gosh, there are so many resources here in Portland <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> you know, networks, um, groups like PDC, um, or in our case, we were based in Beaverton, uh, that they were, you know, the OTBC, the West Side Startup Fund, that they were there and OEN are there to help even just to start building out the business model for you and connecting you to, to making sure that you nail your fundamentals. And the same question to Tyrone. So what I heard, Lily, was OTBC, OEN, PDC, uh, PDC and those you've learned after all the hard work. Mm -hmm. uh, Tyrone, what about you? Same question. So um, the, the very first place that I had went um, to get help with my idea was SBDC, actually. So um, I had no idea how to write a business plan. I didn't know what people would want to see from me to, in order to be able to follow my vision, my idea. So, um, and it started with a business plan, which I developed there. And uh, once I had it done, I didn't know what to do next. So uh, applying for the uh, grant in the contest that PDC put on is was kind of my intro into the government world. And once I had won that contest, I saw there were so many programs that exist, but they're not coordinated in a way to where they're easy to navigate. So, but because it's just how my brain works, that's how I function. So I was able to house, uh, build an application at house because I knew how to learn how to navigate the system myself. So um, I learned how to navigate the space of getting resources. But um, so there are government resources uh, like PDC or Prosper Portland. There's a ton of programs that they fund. Uh, the problem is that they're not very well organized. But if you are the person that don't mind picking up the phone and going through a book of all these people who are supposed to do all these things and figuring out which ones are still even business, which ones are out of business, which ones, you know, don't get funding till next July, which, you know, all the stuff you're going to have to go through to, to figure out what to do, then uh, the opportunity is there. It's just a matter of getting your hands dirty to go figure it out. I'm curious, um, not to cut you off, Scott, I'm sorry, um, but it may lead into uh, an answer you might have. I you know, I cover technology for the paper, and I find there's a community for just about everything. There's a community for every programming language. There's a community for every kind of chip design. There's a, a community around it. I'm curious if there's a community for social entrepreneurs, and if you all think of yourself as such, if that's a defined community in your own mind, or if you have another term for what you're doing. Bring up some really interesting points there. I, I was going to kind of go down that road a little bit, so it, it's perfect segue, but uh, one of the things that I would just say first and foremost, and Tyrone had his individual experience and knew that there was a need for what he's doing. And Lily had her individual experience and knew there was a need for what she was doing. I had my individual experience and knew there was a need. But I would go back to the community and make sure that you're solving a need that you don't have an unintended consequence of it. Like It's a great idea, but it might not actually be something that people need. So that'd be the mm -hmm. first thing. But the second thing is that there are groups out there outside of the government area. And if you ever want to kind of really understand what it's like to start a business, go talk to the founders. And so there are groups in town. It used to be Pi, and now that's kind of morphed. But there's a group called Starvups that is a great group. Um, and it's basically kind of fight club for founders <laughs> in which we and, and also therapy for founders where we you know talk to each other about all of our problems. And they host all kinds of events that are open to the public where you can come in and kind of start to look at things. And then on the social uh, and entrepreneurship side of it, 
my community around that is really the B Corp community. And um, they, in fact, they had a party last night. But uh, um, that community is really a group of people. And it's starting to feel like we're identifying ourselves that way. And it helps, especially when you're going out after funding, because there's a lot of social impact funding that's out there. And then the last thing I'll say about it real quick is, is that what Oregon and Portland are doing really well um, has been technology. And there's an ecosystem around that. And we've been kind of the rest of us have been the rest of us. And it's been viewed <laughs> exactly. as a bunch of individual types of companies. When you look at beer companies, wine companies, apparel, yeah. whatever it is. And um, in reality, what Built Oregon has done recently has put that under an umbrella of consumer products. And that's created an industry where all of a sudden uh, – all these different industries that have great business metrics have been ignored from a funding standpoint. All of a sudden, we're starting to get some attention. We leave. We have time maybe for one more quick question. Somebody give me some advice, just like in one sentence or two, for somebody thinking about a social entrepreneurship rather than a conventional business route. Uh, go out and find some people to associate with that are in the same area that you want to do. Association is the number one thing you can do when you're trying to get off the ground. Get yourself surrounded by people who are doing something. I wholly agree. I think the other thing is know really clearly why you're doing it. The mm-hmm. race is long and hard, and mm-hmm. you've so many doubters along the way and challenges. But when you're in that pit of despair, and you go there a hundred times in about a week, mm-hmm. um, that you you go back to that scorecard. This is why I'm doing this. It'll help you plumb so much of the strife and challenges for a social entrepreneur. That's yeah, passion. That's a great word for that piece of it from Lily's standpoint. The the other thing that I was going to say on this is that uh, regardless of what that social mission is, I have a great one of my advisors always says no margin, no mission. Uh, so make sure that your business tactics are there and you can actually make money at what you're doing or be able to continually fund it if it's a nonprofit in a sustainable way. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how much you want to change the world. You're out of business. That is all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, to Scott, Tyrone, and Lily for being our guests today. And thank you for tuning in to Biz 503 NPRP. I'm Kedma O. And I'm Mike Rogaway. Have a great weekend.